good morning, guys. It's really good to see you. Uh, If there's anyone new with us, my name is Brandon. I'm one of the pastors here, and today we are going to continue in our series, Living Hope. We are still in chapter 3 of 1 Peter, and what we are going to see today uh, are verses for suffering people. There's a very real sense in which we have already sang my sermon for today with that second John Newton song. Uh, Our text today points us to the words that we need to hear in our pain. Uh, We're going to actually see, as we just sung, the Bible express benefits of suffering. And as strange as it sounds, uh, I'm almost relieved to talk about this after last week was honor and submission in marriage, and the week before that was honor and submission in politics and culture. So it's like suffering, an easy thing to talk about in comparison, but that's where we're headed. And before we get to the text, uh, I want to start off by giving some bad advice. As we'll be reminded today, suffering is real and trials are many, uh, but the words that we can hear in our suffering are also many. There is terrible advice everywhere. So let me share some with you. Maybe you're struggling in your marriage. What hope is there for you? What do you need to hear to help you experience joy and peace in your home? Nag him and he'll be by your side longer. (laughs) Nag him. Those are the wrong words for that pain. Maybe you lost your job and you are heartbroken or you are fearful. What are the words you need to hear? Not feel well, get drunk. That's advice with severely diminishing returns. Uh, Maybe you're a student. We got students in here. Maybe you're a student and school isn't going well and you're feeling hopeless and you're questioning the very purpose of your existence. What is the writing on the wall for you in this world? Take action, take control, quit school. Students, those are the wrong words. Or maybe you're going through a health crisis or a breakup. You find yourself in this season of pain wanting to eat your sorrows. Our world has words for you as well. Every pizza is a personal pizza if you try hard and believe in yourself. Yes, keep on believing Keep on chewing. You'll get through this. Now watch. I understand that those are exaggerations, but they are only exaggerations of actual words in that our world shares with suffering hearts. Is your marriage hurting? Make sure you get what you need out of it. Is your, are, are you discouraged? Pursue pleasure anywhere you can find it. Did you miss out on a promotion? Keep following your dreams and believing in yourself. Or a little closer to First Peter's audience. Maybe you're trapped in who he's writing. Maybe you're trapped in a culture in which following Jesus is met with violent retribution. Just just go find what makes you happy. What? The reality is that in the face of real suffering, many of the words in our world today will only compound the pain. But what we're going to see in in 
First Peter today is that the words we need do exist. We sang some of them. We have God's word to God's children in the painful moments that can push us closer to him. And what that's what First Peter 3 is going to help us with today. We're going to see where we need to look in our suffering and what we need to hear when our hearts are hurting. And some of your hearts are hurting right now. Some of your hearts, you're just getting over a season of hurt. Some of you are feeling that, oh, no, when is it going to happen again? God's word has the words the world doesn't. And because this passage is so long today, we're going to read it as we go rather than all at once. So let's just begin in verse 8, 1 Peter chapter 3, and walk through this text together. Finally, now he says finally, don't get excited. There's a lot of 1 Peter left. I'm not sure what there's. There's three weeks left in our version of the series. But finally, all of you be like-minded and sympathetic. Love one another. And be compassionate and humble, not paying back evil for evil or insult for insult, but on the contrary, giving a blessing since you were called for this so that you may inherit a blessing. So in the middle of this book on hope in suffering and persecution, Peter says to be loving and humble. Peter is encouraging exactly what he saw with his own eyes from Jesus when Jesus faced suffering and persecution. They were, these, these people, Peter and the ones he was writing to, exiled in a culture that was often actively bringing suffering to Christians. Peter says that humility and love is still the posture of followers of Christ. And Peter challenges this way because he knows we need to be challenged this way. Isn't it true that when suffering and chaos enters our lives, we're, we're often not as loving? It's just true. I hate that this is true. The people that see the worst of me are the four females that live in my house. When I get discouraged, discouragement for me can lead to, to being isolated, to being disengaged. Stress for me can help me speak without kindness. Peter's original audience was surrounded by discouragement. They were facing life and death stresses, severe murderous persecution was their context. And to them, Peter said, be humble and loving towards and toward one another. And the more we read, the more we'll understand how we can actually do that. So let's keep reading. Verse 10, for the one who wants to love life and to see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit and let him turn away from evil and do what is good. Let him seek peace and pursue it because, watch, the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. The face of the Lord is against those who do what is evil. Who then will harm you if you are devoted to what is good? So these verses are basically quoting Psalm 34 and they can profoundly shape how we think about those, how we think about our suffering. The last two lines are so powerful. But the face of the Lord is against those who do what is evil. Who then will harm you if you are devoted to what is good? God has the right words for suffering. Watch. So Peter tells people to live in a godly way before the Lord. And then he asks the question, if the Lord is watching over you, if the Lord is hearing you, then who can, who can really harm you? Peter asks. And some of you are sitting there right now like, man, I can get harmed. I'm feeling the harm right now. But in comparison to what and in light of what and toward what, 
Another way to say it, biblical language, if God is for you, who can be against you? This is coming. This is, this is coming from a guy who reportedly would be hung upside down on a cross as a martyr. And he is saying, they're not really harming me because God sees me and God hears me and God has approved of me and I am his forever. This is an absurdly strong hope in the face of suffering that we can't really comprehend. And the Bible over and over again says that that's what happens to our hope, to our faith in suffering. It grows stronger. In James, it says, consider it a great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience these various trials, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance and let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. Very familiar verse. Christian hope gets stronger, not weaker in suffering. So this is about to be a farm fresh egg. Is this fragile? No. <laughs> fragile, right? It breaks with pressure. That's disgusting, and I'm not exactly sure what to do now. <laughs> so let's let this be suffering without the expectation of good in God. The wood, however. The wood, less fragile. I'm sorry, now I'm Gallagher, and I did not mean to be. I did not mean to be. Not breaking under the same pressure, right? But even this is not, this is a, this is only a partial analogy. Let me get that out of your eyesight. Because, oh, it's on my notes. We'll grow from this. Because the opposite of fragile is actually getting stronger under pressure. And think about muscles instead of wood boards compared to a, a farm fresh egg. Muscles grow stronger when... Look at you. Thank you. Save the notes too. Muscles get stronger when placed under pressure. Is there anything gross? Oh, yeah. Sorry. That would have been a long sermon view for you guys. Eggs are crushed under pressure. Muscles are strengthened. And so are followers of Jesus. Who then can harm you? What a question. Who then can harm you? You're the Lord's. Our hope can be strong and stronger in suffering when we know who we belong to. Look at the next verse, 14. But even if you should suffer for righteousness, you are blessed. Pause there. Jesus wants us to know that suffering is not the opposite of blessing as much as we think that it is. In fact, in fact, sometimes suffering is blessing. My heart needs this. Your heart needs this. Blessing does not mean our health 
and our families and our careers and our bank accounts are all going to be pristine. But suffering for righteousness is to be blessed. Peter is not the only one to say this. Jesus said in Matthew 5, you are blessed when they insult you and persecute you because, and falsely say every kind of evil against you because of me. Be glad and rejoice because your reward is great in heaven. So suffering blesses us because it strengthens us and it prepares us for reward in heaven. Keep reading. Now we get to a long chunk and this is the gist of the passage. But even if you should suffer for righteousness, you are blessed. Do not fear them or be intimidated, but in your hearts regard Christ the Lord as holy, ready at any time to give a defense to anyone ask you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do this with gentleness and reverence, keeping a clear conscience so that when you are accused, those who disparage your good conduct in Christ will be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring you to God. He was put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit in which he also went and made proclamation to the spirits in prison who in the past were disobedient when God patiently waited in the days of Noah. Yeah, we're doing it while the ark was being prepared in it. A few that is eight people were saved through water baptism, which corresponds to this now saves you not as the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a good conscience toward God. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with the angels, authorities, and powers subject to him. That's a lot. These are the words that are perhaps most important that we most need to hear in our suffering. But first, like last week, I want to address a couple of those phrases that you might trip over and get distracted by and thereby miss the, what we need to get the most. So just real quick before we focus on God's word for us in the face of suffering. Verse 18 said, in which he, Jesus, so speaking of Jesus, in which he also went and made proclamation to the spirits in prison who in the past were disobedient when God patiently waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared. There's three, it's kind of strange. There's sort of, th- there's three ways that this is usually interpreted. Some believe that after Jesus died, he descended into Hades to preach and to offer a second chance to people. This is not true. Because the Bible says it's appointed once for people to die and after that the judgment. Others think that Jesus descended into Hades to proclaim his victory to the evil spirits who were part of deceiving people during the days of Noah. That would be pretty incredible if that's what it is. Like Jesus went into hell and hit him with a too small. If you don't watch basketball, you don't know what that means. But hit, just like he dunked, dunked on him, hit him with the too small. I hope that's what it is. Others believe that this is Jesus. This is teaching that Jesus taught through Noah. That the spirit of Jesus was preaching through Noah to point to the gospel. God provided an ark, and then later he provided a savior. People were saved from the flood. Now we are saved from death. Which one is the right interpretation? I know it's not the first one. I don't know. Whichever one you like better of the second two is what we'll go with. 
What we do believe strongly is what we, the phrase we saw in the next verse, baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a good conscience toward God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So Peter moves from the waters of the flood to the water of baptism. Noah and his family were saved through the water. In the same way, Jesus is the Savior of the world now. Those of us who trust in him are lifted out of our sin and shame, right? And Peter makes it clear that it's not the water that removes sins like it's merely dirt. The moment we begin a a relationship with Jesus, we receive forgiveness. And then Peter goes on to write that this Jesus is alive and everything is subjected to him now. Did y'all see that in the last verse of chapter, of chapter 3? Jesus, we are baptized into him, forgiveness of sin, out of sin and shame, through his resurrection. He's alive at the right hand of the Father, angels, authorities, and powers subject to him. What does this have to do with our suffering? Everything. Jesus suffered And now he is in eternal glory. Let's go back to verse 14. I think it's now time to really enjoy what God has to say about suffering. But even if you should suffer for righteousness, you are blessed by Jesus to whom everything is subject. I want to list out really quickly from the passage we just read what God has for us as we consider suffering or as we face suffering in your current moment in life. Suffering is a blessing, as we discussed. We also read that we don't need to fear. We read that Christ the Lord is holy. We read there is hope within us. Those who cause you to suffer will be put to shame. Christ also suffered to bring you to God and to make you, to make you alive. I didn't do a cross-cut of that list versus what we put on the screen at the beginning, but the world has nothing to offer you like this. But primarily here, I want to draw your attention to verse 15. Do not fear them or be intimidated, but in your hearts regard Christ the Lord as holy, ready at any time to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. I hope you keep this verse with you. Keep this verse with you with you for your suffering. I've told you in at least two sermons now what the name Lord or Kyrios in the Greek means. It's used over 700 times in the New Testament. It matters, and it really matters in our suffering. Lord means, to remind you, he to whom a person or thing belongs, about which he has the power of deciding, sound familiar? The possessor or disposer of a thing. That's the that's our Lord, Christ the Lord. Regard Christ the Lord as holy. And Peter uses the word Lord seven times in this letter. Four of those times, that's five. Four of those times are in this chapter on blessing and suffering. So Peter is obviously consistent in how he is writing and I'm trying to be consistent in where we direct our attention as we learn from his writing. So when we, like when we think about hope, like in chapter 1, our attention should be on the Lord, that Lord the, the, to whom a person or thing belongs, about which he has the power of deciding, the possessor or disposer of a thing, the Lord who is the one who gives us our hope. When we think about how we live in this world, our eyes should be on the Lord Christ. When we think about politics two weeks ago, 
We should really be thinking about the Lord God who governs all. When we think about marriage last week, our hearts should really go to the Lord of our homes. And when we consider suffering, especially when hearing that suffering can be a blessing, that it can be strengthening, our attention should be on, as Peter says, having hearts that, we, that regard Christ the Lord as holy. In our suffering, we have Christ the Lord who has the power of deciding. He is the possessor and disposer of all things. But even if you should suffer for righteousness, you are blessed. Do not fear them or be intimidated, but in your hearts regard Christ the Lord as holy. When I read this this week, what came to mind was one of my favorite Psalms, Psalm 3. And we're actually going to do a series on Psalms in the summer. And this is one we'll study, but I'm still going to take a little bit from it today. The first three verses, Psalm 3, 1 through 3 says, this is, listen, Lord, how my foes increase. There are many who attack me. Many say about me, there is no help for him in God, Selah. But you, Lord, are a shield about me, my glory, and the one who lifts up my head. You see the word Lord twice in those two verses, or those three verses, right? This is the all caps version of the Lord because it comes from the Hebrew word Jehovah, which is basically God's proper name. And it means, I think I've told you this before as well, it means the existing one. It, it means existence. Hold on, this is really, this is important. Like if you're suffering right now and you're like, man, he's telling me what Jehovah means. The existing one. This helps us incredibly to remember that God is the being who has always existed, meaning God is the one, one who must exist. The necessity of God's existence matters for your life. Because if God is the existing one, if he is existence, that means everything else necessarily exists secondarily to him. Everything else has the option of not existing. That might sound strange, but that means that everything that has power in your life, power to give you pain, power to cause you suffering, whatever it may be, only has power to the degree that God lets it have power and exist. It couldn't be any other way if he is the existing one. For example, Satan, our enemy, we're going to talk about him at the end of 1 Peter. He's a created being as much as we are, which means, which means he doesn't have, you know, like 40% of all the power, but it's going to be fine because God's got the 60%, so it should work out okay. No, the existing one, the all caps Lord, existence itself, the only necessary being, in comparison to an infinite God, Satan has 0% of the power. That's a life-changing understanding. Satan has 0% of the power as it relates to God. He is finite. His power is limited by however God wants to limit it. The Bible even gives us examples of this, and those examples are in relation to our suffering. In Job, Satan had to go ask God for permission to test him. He had to run Job's suffering by God for approval. 
In Luke 22, Jesus told Peter, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you. So God, Jehovah, the existing one, has control over all the evil in this world, always. David is also said in Psalm 3 that the Lord, the existing one, is our shield. Just real quick. Because that word shield is not communicating what we think about when we think about shield, which is a one directional shield, because that's what we know. Not when it's being applied to an infinite being. That shield is above you, below you, in front of you, beneath you, beside you, between you, within you, all around you, in whatever way a shield could be, because the shield is infinite. If you are in Christ, you are surrounded. Right now, I don't know what's in your life. I don't know what disappointments you have. I don't know what pains you have. I don't know what death you're facing. I don't know what disease, sickness, persecution, concerns you have. If you are in Christ, you are surrounded on all sides by the shield of the sovereign Lord of the universe. Nothing can possibly get to you without getting through Jehovah. Nothing can get to you without getting through Jehovah in Psalm 3. Nothing can get to you without getting through the Lord in 1 Peter 3. But maybe you're thinking, okay, Brandon, okay. But Peter called suffering a blessing. Peter said there's hope in it and there's growth through it and there's reward after it. But maybe you're thinking, what's going on in my life right now doesn't feel like a blessing. And I'm with you. I concur. I've, I've been through mild suffering the last couple of years, and I've often failed to see it as a blessing. I can take my eyes off Jehovah. I can. I have not been ready always to give a reason for the hope that is in me. Instead, then maybe you do this too, sometimes I see my suffering as a mistake. This was a gross error on somebody's part. So if that's how you feel, let me say to both of us, what do we know about it? What do we know? My boss has what I call a mind vault. Good for him. He's super intelligent, uh, incredible memory and and recall. His name's Michael Kelly. Some of you have heard him preach before. He's preached here. He'll be preaching here several times this year. But if you want to know the name of an actor in a support role in an 80s movie, he can tell you. If you don't want to know the name of an actor in a supporting role in an 80s movie, he can still tell you. He remembers spreadsheets from prior budget years. He can tell you where almost anything is in the Bible just off the top of his head. Sometimes I call my coworkers by the wrong names. There's a spectrum of intelligence in the human condition is what I'm saying. But good for Michael. But of course, Michael has a strong mind, but it isn't a perfect one. He remembers a lot, but he doesn't know everything. And as easy it is as it is to notice brilliance when we see it in a human mind, it is impossible to even fathom the mind of the Lord, Jehovah, the infinite existing one, right? God knows everything and understands everything, not just 80s actors, everything, and not just everything that was before now, everything that will be. 
Paul wrote so beautifully in Romans 11. One of the, such a gorgeous passage. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments, his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them for from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. How amazing is that? Who has known the mind of the Lord? Me. Right? I've known. Wrong. This might sound ridiculous after such a powerful passage, but ask yourself this question. Who is the wisest ant that has ever lived? Maybe you've never thought about that. How, how could you have never thought about that? How could you have never thought about who the wisest ant that has ever lived might be? The most intelligent ant in the history of the earth might be alive right now. And who cares? <laughs> How much would that matter to you? You might have stepped on the wisest ant that has ever lived on the way to church today. Not even known it. The ant's strength and mind and intelligence isn't in the same category as yours. The most impressive ant in history is nothing to us. And that helps us get a little closer to understanding Paul's teaching and Job's teaching and David's teaching and Peter's teaching. Maybe that gets us a little closer to understanding the vastness of the infinite wisdom of God compared to even the best human mind vaults. Who has known the mind of the Lord, you ants? And the mind of the Lord says, but even if you should suffer for righteousness, you are blessed. Do not fear them or be intimidated, but in your heart, regard Christ as Lord and holy. And if I can try to anticipate one more question we could ask, maybe you're thinking, but how can I know God wants to actually use his unfathomable, sovereign, shielding wisdom and power to make blessing out of my suffering, right? How can I know that's what he wants to do? Maybe you're thinking, God is sovereign. Yes. God even knows more than me what I might need to experience. God knows more than I could know what might become a blessing, lead to strengthening, end in reward, but how can I really believe that is what God is after in all this pain I feel right now? You don't know how hard it gets, Brandon. How can I believe God really wants to bring blessing through my suffering? Well, verse 18 shows us that we are not the only ones who suffer. Verse 18 reminds us that at the cross of Jesus, ultimate blessing came from ultimate suffering. And who was it for? You guys should be, yes. You guys should be more excited. Ultimate blessing 
came from ultimate suffering for us. Read it again. For Christ also suffered for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring you to God. Think about the stunning reality of suffering at the cross. Because who was suffering? It was Jehovah. The existing one, the Lord with all power to possess and dispose of all things chose not to shield himself from suffering. He chose to let Satan sift him as wheat. Jesus was the grotesquely suffering sacrifice for us. And that means, Peter writes, that we are now his forever because of his death for us. What should that do to our concept of suffering? Here's what it does. There is no denying God wants to bless us. How could you? He himself suffered for our blessing. There is no doubt that God wants to strengthen us. He made himself weak so that we could become strong. There is no doubt that God wants to reward us. He already went to the death and into the grave and beyond to prove it. In this world, we will have suffering, but our world has no words like these. But even if you should suffer for righteousness, you are blessed Do not fear them or be intimidated, but in your hearts regard Christ the Lord as holy, ready at any time to give a defense to anyone, ask you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do this with gentleness and reverence, keeping a clear conscience so that when you are accused, those who disparage your good conduct in Christ will be put to shame, for it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil, for Christ also suffered for sins once for all the righteous for the unrighteous that he might bring you to God this is the word of the Lord this is the word of the Lord so some of you are suffering right now and we're going to pray and we're not just going to pray that the suffering goes away although we're going to pray that the suffering goes away but we're going to pray that while the suffering is going away the blessing comes i almost said to stay and that doesn't need to rhyme we don't need that we're going to pray that suffering goes away and we're going to pray that we trust the sovereign lord that he is growing us that he is strengthening us that he is moving us closer to himself, and that reward is always coming. So if there is, let's go ahead and stand. I'm going to pray, but if there is suffering in your life and you would like someone to partner with you in prayer, me, some of the other leaders will be ready to pray for you. If there's no suffering in your life right now, pray for your brothers and sisters to believe that there is blessing and suffering, and let's worship the God of goodness together. Father, thank you so much for how you love us, even though sometimes you love us painfully. God, I pray that we would, in our hearts, regard Christ the Lord as holy. 
I pray that right now, that in our hearts, we would regard Christ the Lord as holy, that we would see you high and lifted up, that we would know that your ways are higher than our ways, that we would know no one can know the mind of God. We are the ants, and from ants, you are making strength. To ants, you are giving blessing forever. God, I pray that you would help us to walk uh, in ever-growing expectation of good. We worship you now.